How are you? Well, busy. Very busy. Always busy. Um, more busy than ever, I should say. Really? Mm. Yeah. It's uh, several interviews every week and uh, oh. talks. And uh, and I work quite a lot with the film You for Sweden, the feature film that will uh, be uh, featured on every every theater in Sweden in uh, December. Oh, why is why all the attention suddenly, or it's just it never ends? No, it never ends, but it's peaked now, I think, in some way. And uh, the film is really, really getting much attention. I mean, before it's even been seen by anyone, so uh, that's good. That's good. Uh, well, that's how you get people to come see the film. You have to you have to create the the need for it, or at least the anticipation. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, we have done that. And it's a four million dollar feature film which will probably be the biggest uh, Swedish film this Christmas. Oh, it's a, it's just a documentary on the AFU or? No, it's a feature. It's uh, like oh. a movie, real movie. And uh, oh. But uh, they got their idea from visiting AFU a couple of years ago. And all the props in the film are from AFU and uh, I am in the <laughs> film as well. <laughs> so it's a, main, it's a fictional? You are? Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. a fictional film telling a story? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's like a sci-fi. Oh, okay. But uh, uh, the the main character is named after me, called Leonard Swan. My <laughs> third name is Leonard. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, who? What? Get your hands up! Stay where you are. Don't move. Don't reach for them guns. Take it easy, you galoots. Put away the hardware and relax. What's Greg? <laughs> interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso. Hey, it's Radio Mysterioso here. Um, I am just recovering from a bout with COVID, so I make cough here and there. It is Monday, November 14th, and I'm here um, with uh, Klaus Savan. Is that how you pronounce your name? Yeah, that's good enough. Good enough. <laughs> <laughs> and he is the chairman for the Archives of the Unexplained. And I will um, read a modified uh, wiki version of um, what the uh, AFU is. 
Oh, and the archive for the unexplained is located in Norrköping, Sweden. Is that right? That's even better. Yeah, <laughs> I actually looked up the pronunciation. <laughs> um, Archives for the Unexplained, it was formerly known as the Archives for UFO Research. It's a depository dedicated to collecting materials about UFOs, ufology, Fordiana, cryptozoology, paranormal phenomena, and folklore. It's a nonprofit foundation, and the collections comprise approximately three and a half kilometers of shelf space in 15 different locations. You can correct me if it's uh, I give any um, wrong numbers. Uh, the collections include over 55,000 books in various languages, 88,000 magazine issues and uh, representing 8,000 annual magazines, six, 650,000 newspaper clippings, 30,000 photographs, as well as films and tape records and memorabilia, scale models, paintings, paraphernalia, posters, clothes, toys, and other items. Uh, AFU also has Scandinavian and British archives, including over 55... Hmm? Oh, okay. 55,000 reports and collections about organizational uh, and personal files. And Klaus has actually also written a book about the archives um, called Files of the Unexplained, which I have, which he gave me a copy very nicely. Um, it's basically a tour of the archives and some of its rare and unusual holdings. And um, can you get that on Amazon or anywhere? Uh, you can get it from uh, AFU shop. <clears throat> oh, okay. It's this way, really. And uh, I should really recommend everyone to take a look at our shop because we are selling surplus books there and uh, lots of very hard to find things that you'll never see anywhere else. Yeah, I saw that actually. I, I, I was looking through that. Uh, there was a uh, catalog from two years ago, but I guess you're uh, for Christmas or something, but you're still selling all the time. Yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah, just look up Ar Archives for the Unexplained or afu.se and it'll come up. So uh, I met Klaus at the at the Archives for the Unexplained. I mean, sorry, ar yeah, Archives uh, for of the Impossible Conference. Excuse me, in um, March. Yeah, yeah, and we yeah, in Houston, and we'd never met before. And he was one of the speakers there on a panel about uh, archiving the unexplained. Um, uh, how did you get involved with the AFU? Well, um, I started my interest into UFOs in the late uh, 1960s. And in 1974, I, I started my own UFO group in my hometown, Mariestad, which is in the center part of Sweden. Uh, at that time, AFU had uh, been around for one year. It started in 1973, as you mentioned. But I didn't really started working with them until the early 1980s, when I found out that they really were something that I, I would love to to contribute to because I'm a book lover, I'm a collector, I'm a, I'm a person who really loves paperworks. Mm -hmm. I have 1,000 binders of paperworks at my house and nearly 10,000 books in my private files. So you can understand that uh, finding out that there were a couple of people in Norrköping trying to build an archive built on everything we know about UFOs. That really got to my heart, so I <laughs> I started to help out, really. <laughs> and that was the beginning of the archive, because it was originally the the um, archives for the uh, uh, Swedish uh, UFO group. The um, What was yeah, it? Yeah, it was for a small group in Norrköping, really. Uh, and uh, Anders uh, Lilligen and Håkan Blomqvist and Kjell Jonsson uh, 
Mm. The three founders of AFU, they were very much involved in both UFO Sweden and other Swedish UFO groups. But they soon realized that there was really a need for for a real archive because nobody really took care of their paperwork. And when people died, things were thrown away and lost. And uh, yeah, our history was uh, was lost all the time. Yeah, I noticed this, and um, I actually uh, I was out in uh, Yucca Valley, and I found out from the uh, a bookstore out there that Gabe Green's stuff had just been put out on a sidewalk at his at his garage sale, and his his um, relatives were trying to sell it. <laughs> and yeah. the old contactee Gabriel Green, and some of it went to this guy's bookstore. I got a copy of uh, a uh, Gabe Green book. Uh, signed to no a a copy of a book by orfeo angelucci signed to gabriel green oh that was one of the things that he had that's one of the things i'm completely lucky that i found yeah yeah but the the rest of it went to a uh apparently he told me it went to an archive at harvard i'm not really sure what what happened with it because i've been trying to to track uh, the files down myself there are different stories and um I haven't found them yet, so I'm not really sure if they are at Harvard. Well, that's a, that's the story the guy at the bookstore heard. He said that somebody from Harvard just swooped in and got everything. Yeah, hopefully it wasn't just put in a garbage bin because that happens all the time. So if they are at Harvard, that would be fantastic. But uh, yeah, I, hope I know so. about, I know about the UFO stuff that are going to um, to universities. That a lot of that are just put in the basement and uh, nobody can access it. That's quite common. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's why we are trying to make AFU as open as possible and to uh, to save all stuff we can find and make it available for researchers all around the world. Uh, not just tuck it away in some cellar, but uh, invite people and uh, scan and help people to find what we have. Yeah, you actually sent me some uh, source material for the... Um for the ufology tarot cards uh some pictures i think of coral Lorenzen. yeah yeah they were taken by a swedish uh, journalist called Eugen semichov who who covered the apollo space race for for many many years he also wrote a book about ufos in swedish and uh, he traveled around the u.s and met quite a lot of people alan hynek jacques valet and others involved in in ufos in the 60s and 70s and his picture archives are now uh, with us at AFU. I know that you have a background as a journalist too. Is that where, how you um, actually? No, you had the you had the interest before, but you also you're still a journalist, actually. Yeah, yeah, I'm still a journalist. I've been a journalist since 1978, and right now I am working since uh, 1990 at Sweden's largest uh, daily newspaper, August mm-hmm. Nyheter. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? How many people work down at uh, AFU? Uh, we have around eight or ten people there every day. Mm-hmm. Most of them are volunteers. Some of them are there partially paid for by the employment agency. Oh, I see. But uh, I should say that uh, out of the maybe ten people, eight are volunteers and the rest comes from, from the employment agency. Mm-hmm. Is it, uh, so is it 
the archives funded completely from donations, or is there any kind of official support besides the besides the the uh, uh, workers paid a little bit? Uh, it's all all coming from from fifty five. I think it's now private uh, donors who put money into AFU every month, and uh, some of the money comes from AFU shop. Uh, and of course, we that work at the board are putting quite a lot of money into AFU as well. Mm. So uh, right now, we just the rent for one year is around uh, twenty five thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars, and uh, that's quite a lot of money, of course. Yes, but, uh, yeah, we are managing, it. and we are turning around on maybe one hundred and forty thousand dollars a year. It's all this. It's I did read this thing saying it was in fifteen different locations. Are, are, is that true? Do you have to go into different buildings for for all the for all the holdings? Yeah, we are. We are on, on the one. You can say two streets, really, the same block, uh, and we have rented yet another new locality when we are have filled the last one. So that's the way we are expanding, and right now we are we are completely filled. Mm. Uh, so we need another one. But we are looking for uh, a very a large locality, one under one roof. Yeah. So we have been looking uh, around Norrköping and visited a couple of, of premises that may be something for us. But there is a problem because we have so much material. So we are quite heavy. Yeah, I was going really to say. We need to be at the bottom, <laughs> at the bottom of, of the house mm-hmm. because uh, the buildings are, are not able to, to hold us. We have seen a very, very fantastic building that we probably could have afforded as well, but uh, the floor couldn't support our, our holdings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried about that too, actually, Klaus. I've got so many books on one wall in my hallway. I'm worried it's going to make the building <laughs> tilt. Yeah, because paper weighs a lot. People don't realize this till you start moving how much books actually weigh. I mean, I never do any workouts. I, I never go anywhere. I play badminton once a week. I do that, but uh, lifting books and carrying uh, <laughs> carrying stuff it keeps me fit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Who you know who who uses the archive? I mean, I, I suppose researchers, but do government people come in? I guess TV shows. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of uh, media, of course, coming to us uh, from both the U.S. and other countries, but mostly from Sweden. Uh, and of course, uh, historians, uh, researchers, scholars, writing theses. Maybe mm-hmm. uh, they spend days and days, maybe weeks sitting and working at our, our our place. We had a guy coming in from Tokyo for three days, just taking a look at our Japanese archives. Uh-huh. So uh, we have loads of interesting uh, stuff from many, many different countries. Most, of course, in, in English, lots in Swedish, but also in French and uh, Russian and whatever language you would, would like to choose, really. Uh, how do you... How do... <laughs> How did you start collecting all this stuff? Because I noticed you, you know, you, you get um, large ship. There was one from the Fortean archives, I think, in 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 Britain, a very large one. Yeah, no, no. I, I go to Britain every year, <clears throat> except for the COVID years, mm-hmm. and I all always bring back around two tons, maybe three tons of material oh. every year. Huh. So in August, I I travel to uh, England and Scotland. Yeah, and and that time I brought back two point two tons of material from from that hall, 
but I also went to the US. I have uh, saved uh, important files from uh, Eureka in California from the Borderland Science Research. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, that, that we saved. It took a lot of time to do that, and it was kind of complicated. But we were able to do that after years and years of, of uh, persuasion and uh, discussions, of course. Yeah, I had a friend that used to work at the Borderland Science Research uh, Foundation in the 80s, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he, he he used to go up in the attic and see all these these files and things they had from years ago. Does it go back to... Um, how far back does that BSRF stuff go? Back to the 40s, maybe? Yeah. When the Round yeah. Robin was published? Yeah. Around 1945 somewhere, I think. Oh. So it's uh, fantastic stuff. It was uh, put in a garage in uh, in Eureka. And we spent uh, a full day packing boxes and uh, putting them on pallets. And then uh, a lorry came and brought it to probably... Yeah, some some harbor in California, and then they were shipped to to Sweden. So uh, it's really really valuable material, but they were deteriorating. I mean, the paperwork's were not in very good condition. So we did really save it uh, at the very last time before the mold had uh, had gotten to it. Yeah, because that's Northern California, and it's very um, it's very damp. So. Yeah, it if it is. was sitting in somebody's garage, you don't know what's going to happen to it. It sounds like you saved it at the last minute. Kind of remind, that, reminds... Genetics or huh? where people put this, this stuff all the time. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the uh, the, the uh, uh, Delishow stuff that was found in a, in a, on a uh, dumped out on the street, I think. Yeah, yeah. Not uncommon. I've been on in, uh, in uh, dumps saving things that has just been thrown away. Uh, so we have, we have seen it all, really. And if we, if we didn't do this, it would be lost forever. Yeah. You, how, did you, how did you find out to go to the dump? Because the family said, oh, we just threw that out, and you go racing down to the dump trying to find yeah, it before absolutely. it gets covered over. <laughs> I, went, I went there on a, on a Friday, and they said, oh, last when, uh, this Wednesday. We threw everything away. So I went there and was lucky to, to find it, really. It could have been oh. uh, trashed. Yeah. But I never take no for an answer. I always see opportunities. And uh, I, I, I can spend years trying to save things. I mean, the Flying Saucer Review files, uh, which probably the most important files AFU has. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were, of course, I mean, Flying Saucer Review was the most important uh, saucer ufo magazine for decades yeah and when gordon uh, creighton passed away i i of course had visited him gordon uh, a couple of times uh, before that mm-hmm. and i know that he had a huge archive but when he passed away i was the first person from outside the family to enter the house so i got the key and i entered the house and i was told that uh, not to go to the second floor so i went to the second floor the first i did of course <laughs> uh, and I found a door which was completely crammed. I had a friend from AFU with me, and we tried to open the door, but it was impossible, really. We, we spent 15 minutes before we were able to, to get it at least open. And when we peeked in, we saw it was completely, the, the floor was completely filled with uh, paperwork and books and everything. And we, we squeezed in <laughs> and cleared the floor. And it was, uh, you know, 50 years of UFO files scattered around. Oh, oh, everywhere 
Uh, and after a couple of hours, we found the staircase because we didn't see the staircase first. It was so crammed with other stuff. Uh, found a library on the third floor. And mm. outside the garden, we found sheds filled with UFO material. Uh, and it took me 10 years to persuade the guy who had um, taken over all this to, to give it to AFU. And then we brought it back to Sweden and we have now ordered it in acid-free boxes and we have cataloged everything. Uh, and it's now searchable for for researchers. Is that online? Can you actually uh, search the stuff online yet? You can only search um, the, the the list of, of the, the what it contains. Really, mm-hmm. we haven't scanned all of it. It's impossible. It's huge. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, we have this uh, catalog, which I think is published now or will be very soon. Uh, so you can see, and you can order from us. You can ask us, and we can help you to find stuff. Okay, because there, there's certain things I've been looking for for a while, which I'd have to look up because I've got a list. <laughs> yeah, please, please do that. I mean, I, I went to Britain this time. I saved uh, Norman Oliver's files, which was one of the most prominent UFO researchers in Britain for decades. He was probably the best editor UFO, uh, UFO journal ever had. And I met uh, Norman uh, a few years back, and we discussed his files, and he said, I will put everything in boxes, labeled a few if I pass away, you will have them. And he passed away this uh, spring, and his son contacted me, and uh, I, I went there and uh, and saved it all. It was a fantastic uh, archive as well. What's the? I think you already described it. What's the? What was the biggest archive that you uh, acquired for the AFU? I think it must be Flying Saucer Review, but the Borderland Science are. It's also a very big one. We also have the Wendell Stevens files, not all of them, but we mm. have a, a huge um, uh, grab of them. I know that there are other uh, parts of his archive still out there on the market and other places in the U.S. Uh, it's also quite a big one. Uh, we saved uh, William Corley's files, uh, who wrote the source book project, you know, the yeah. NASA engineer. Uh-huh. Uh, it took me many, many years to discuss with his family, and eventually, uh, two pallets, three pallets, I think, to, altogether, were shipped to Sweden uh, after his widow had cataloged and ordered everything for us, mm-hmm. which was fantastic. She was over 90 years of age, and she did a tremendous job. And now we have it uh, also cataloged and ordered in acid free boxes mm-hmm. because storing is very, very important. You cannot just put things in. In uh, in steel uh, drawers or things like that, because that will kill kill the the material in the end. What steel steel um, filing cabinets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should never use things like that. And uh, so we we are a member of the archive society here in Sweden. So we are we are buying stuff through them, and uh, we are attending their meetings and uh, learning how to to be a proper archive. Ah, now I've got to take all my stuff out of the steel filing cabinets in my garage. <laughs> I do have a lot of um, uh, other files I keep in uh, those plastic tubs, so maybe that's a little more inert and, and uh, better a better place to keep them. But um, how is AFU different from a like an institutional archive, like an academic one or um, another institution? Because it's it's a, it's its own independent thing. Yeah, it is. We we have of course different uh, filing systems. Ah. We have 
called FanCode, which is a code created by AFU for our books. Mm-hmm. I mean, we couldn't use the ordinary library cataloging system. Yeah, because it's, it's basically two of the Dewey Decimal numbers or something yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be quite rudimentary. But uh, we also are more, I'm not sure I can say open, but we are very open. Uh, of course, uh, every archive tries to be helpful. But we are trying to be extremely helpful, I should say. Um, so we are we are doing whatever we can to show the archive for anyone who wants to visit us. We had yesterday uh, an open uh, open day for people coming to visiting us. So a uh, lot of people do that. They are curious about what we are doing. Mm-hmm. And today I have two journalists here in Sweden want to write about the archives so I used uh, I, I, I supply them with pictures and uh, they will probably go there take a look for themselves so the interest for what we are doing is very very big and uh, what we really need is more more money of course with everyone because we want to expand we want to get some better localities and it's very hard to find that that type of money of course yeah Oh, I had another question. Have any government agencies come in and, and uh, officially and uh, look through your archives for things they needed? No, I don't think they have, as far as I know, but they have uh, given us material. When uh, the Swedish uh, uh, Defense Research Institute, which was heading the Swedish UFO investigations for the military for many, many years, and then decided to... Uh, put their files at the uh, war archives. They scanned it all for me, and I got it on a hard drive, so we have uh, copies of everything in a digital format at AFU. Do you have classified documents? Well, I, obviously they're classified. You're not going to have them, but um, do you have copies of government documents about UFOs and, and other things? You must. Yeah, yeah. We have thousands of documents, and uh, hundreds of them have been classified, but not anymore, of course. Uh, we have very, very good uh, relationships with the government and with the authorities. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I work for UFO Sweden as well. UFO Sweden is uh, the research body, like MUFON. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pew is another body, so it's a foundation. But um, I work for UFO Sweden quite a lot, investigating UFO cases. And we have very good contacts with the Swedish uh, military, so we can get uh, radar returns and things we, we are needing to, to identify what was flying mm-hmm. uh, sky at that time. Yeah. Huh. Here's a good one. Do you have? Do you get involved in competitions and about who gets which which archival materials? I mean, if you you arrive at a place or you're talking to somebody, are there are other archives that are trying to get that material too. Yeah, we are, but not physically, but maybe on the internet and uh, when we are. Approaching people, someone else uh, may also be approaching them. So, but uh, that's life. Uh, <laughs> I think we are a very good option for for many of those. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, <clears throat> a huge uh, library of uh, paranormal books uh, in the east of the United States. Around three thousand books were 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 moved to. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what name it was, but it's like a university library. Uh, I was only the second man on that, I'm sorry to say. So I got uh, the last 1,000 
that were saved for us. So I will have those 1,000 books uh, shipped to Sweden in a couple of weeks, hopefully. Yeah, it's 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 a probably a whole story in itself trying to acquire these things. And that what's the what's the most arduous thing you've done to try and get, a, a, or maybe the furthest away, or what was the most difficult collection to get, and what was it? Well, one of the most difficult collection was a man here in Sweden. I can give you two examples, but this is the first one. <clears throat> he was uh, a good friend of uh, AFU and you for Sweden. I knew him. But in his will, it was stated that uh, his uh, library was to be burnt. Well, we got everything else. We got the computer, we got paperwork, but this library was to be burnt. And I don't like uh, see books getting burnt. So I, I, I was really staying awake night, trying to figure out how I could save this. And uh, I got an idea. So uh, at one at one special day, and a uh, uh, lawyer called us and said, you can come now and get your computer and everything else. I'm here waiting for you in, in his apartment. Uh, so I went to a secondhand bookshop. I knew the guy there. And I put uh, a couple of thousand books, surplus books that he was just going to throw away in my car. We went to this guy and we offered to, to bring all his uh, books out to the container to throw them away. And when we brought them down, we exchanged the books from uh, what we had with us and threw our books in a container and saved his life. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why he wanted them burned. No idea. It was not any strange with the books at all. It was just good good books for us. Yeah. It was very, very strange. I don't think really, he didn't really want it. Uh, it something must have happened. Hmm. So... But I have another story as well. It was uh, Peter Rogerson, who is, uh, was, I should say, a very good friend of, of mine. Uh, I got his name from a guy in London who told me that uh, Peter in Manchester, he got this huge library. But uh, don't call him. He will never give you anything. So what did I do? I called him, of course. Yes. Uh, I was in the south of England at that time. I was at the pub. <clears throat> so I called him from this pub. And Peter said that, okay, I, I know your name, I know about AFU, but uh, I, I won't give you anything because uh, I work at this library in Manchester and I want them to have my books when I, I pass away. So I said, okay, fine, but couldn't we just meet and have a chat? Uh, he said, uh, no, I work very late, so I will be home at uh, 10 o'clock. Oh, we are very far away, so it will take us five hours to drive to you, so it's, uh, it's <laughs> no problem. You will arrive very late. No, it's, you cannot park here. It's not uh, this street is crowded. Oh, we can park far away. We can walk. Uh, no problem. I mean, we've been sitting in the car for five hours, so that would be fine. Oh, I haven't cleaned my house for for a long time, and oh, we are not properly dressed at all. We are really, really not used to to visiting fine houses. This is not what we do. I have no furniture. You cannot sit here. I have no, no chairs. Nothing. Oh, we can stand. It would be fine after sitting in the car. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. He said. Come along. And so we drove there and uh, everything was true. Every single thing he told us was true. But after an hour, he gave us 300 books. The next year, 1,000. The next year, a couple of thousand. And when he passed away, we got all his library and 10,000 pounds. Bah. Yeah. After all that, I think he just wanted to make sure that you'd get past the gate. <laughs> <laughs> No, he was a fantastic uh, person. He wrote for uh, a paper called Magonia, 
Yeah. Uh, he wrote book reviews. He was very knowledgeable. Uh, he was a fantastic person, really. Peter Rogerson. I've heard of him, but I did not know about, you know, I didn't know he had all those things. I mean, you, you can be sure that anybody's interested in this has a very large um, uh, um, file of stuff. I mean, a uh, uh, collection of stuff. In fact, I talked to David Marler, uh, who I'm yeah. sure you know. Yeah, absolutely. And he asked me if I had any plans for all the stuff I have. And I said, no. And he said, well, you should. <laughs> yeah, I can say the same. <laughs> <laughs> He said, find a place that'll take it and, you know, make sure that there's a, uh, I I don't have the biggest collection in the world, but I do have, you know, a lot of original files and I'm sure you have reel to reel and cassette and mini cassette. Do you just catalog them or do you at some point try to transcribe, you know, digitize them? We uh, digitize them and uh, uh, we have done that with uh, John Otto. Which was uh, he was a geophologist and a, a radio show a talk show man mm-hmm. in the 1950s. He taped uh, interviews with uh, Orfeo Angelucci, with uh, George Adamski, Howard Menger, everyone mm-hmm. in the 1950s, and we got his uh, original tapes. They only one of a kind, and uh, we were able to save I think 95 out of 100 tapes, mm-hmm. uh, and they are all digitized now. Because I, I used to work at a place that actually took archival materials for the film industry, and a lot of times there were just old not um, not what are they called Nagra tapes, um, yeah, and cassettes, and we would bake them in in basically in um, uh, fruit dehydrators oh. Oh. <laughs> for hours. You know, you put them in at like 150 degrees for four or five hours, and it would it would uh, bind the um, the the oxide back onto the mylar. Mm. Mm. So I was just wondering if that was something you, you were able to get those tapes to play then, I guess. I mean, we could try it because uh, if you're interested, we can absolutely do that. And, uh, and I think it's important to, uh, to, to save uh, things uh, uh, not only from, from uh, Europe, but also from America, of course, from the U S and we have lots of U S material. And uh, I, I know that uh, making those available would be good for every researcher all around the globe. So, and I mean, when it comes to files, we we also borrow from people. We borrow files, scan them, and um, bring them back. Hmm. Uh, it can. I, I borrowed the um, Contact International in in Great Britain. Their archives. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took me two turns to the UK, and I, I brought everything back to Sweden. We scanned all of it, and we brought back the paperwork, and uh, they got a hard drive for free uh, from us. Uh-huh. When it comes to Bufora, the British UFO Research Organization Association, mm-hmm. sorry, mm-hmm. Uh, I traveled Britain for 20 years, locating their files all over Britain because they never had the proper archive. Every researcher had their own files, mm-hmm. but it took me around 20 years, and uh, I located most of it, and we scanned. All of it, and when they turned 50, I gave a talk in London, and I gave them everything on a one terabyte hard drive, all their files, all their minutes, all their interviews, ah. all their videotapes, all their magazines, everything. And that service is not uh, many, many organizations who can supply, I think. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the most important thing you have there, or the thing that is... Uh... 
at least historically important? It's it might be hard to pick. Yeah, it's very hard to pick. I mean, uh, it's the bulk of it, really. I mean, just to say, the, the Flying Saucer reviews uh, report files, all the investigations mm. and the before investigations. They are really, really fantastic. We got, uh, of course, uh, paraphernalia like uh, Alan Godfrey's uh, police jacket. I saw that in your book. Yeah, yeah, that's a little, little a nice item, I think. Uh, and uh, of course, he he claims that he had that on on himself when he was abducted in 1980 in Todmorden, also Manchester. And uh, that story, of course, is very interesting. And I I spoken uh, with uh, Alan, and he's a very nice man, and he's a very down to earth person as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, he never claims anything. He just say what he remembers. And, uh, yeah, who knows? We got the jacket and we have it on display so uh, people can see it when they're coming to AFU. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, what did I see at David Marler's place? He had a, uh, I think he had, I believe, Hector Quintanilla's cap when he was an yeah. off- officer yeah, at, at Blue Book. Yeah, and then there is uh, a suitcase as well that he has been. Oh, uh, that's right. He showed me the briefcase, yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. So uh, things like that, because we want to build a museum as well. We don't have that at this time, but we are we are displaying uh, some of our stuff once a year when UFO Sweden has its annual meeting. We also mm-hmm. have a big exhibition, and we bring things from AFU and, and shows people. But we'd love to have that as a permanent uh, exhibition, of course. And if we can find this big, large locality, uh, part of it will be uh, yeah. as an exhibition. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, speaking of the objects you have, what, what kind of things do you I know you have stamps and comics books and UFO detectors and things like that, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And we also have uh, models. things like people have found when they <clears> saw <throat> a UFO, like artifacts and things like that. Huh. There's one. Does has people have uh, anybody come from the United States or anywhere else uh, trying to get the these uh, artifacts to see if they can test them? Because that that's been something that's been going on for the last five or six years here intensively. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. And uh, I wish them good luck with that. It's uh, very interesting that they do that now. Mm-hmm. We have tested our stuff, and, and no no single item has proved to be anything. Ex, uh, I mean, extraordinary, really. But uh, of course, they are interesting in that respect that they are connected to a story, and that makes the story more, more real for people to hold this in their hands. Yeah, the the I'm trying to find it in the book. The one, pe- the the stone, the the stone that fell from the sky. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe That's, you could tell that story for. I don't know how to pronounce it. Anuns An, <laughs> Yeah, Anunjo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was in the 1950s, and a man was out walking in the clear blue day. It was fantastic weather. And suddenly he saw an object uh, coming, moving over in the sky over his head. And from this object fell something. And he went out in the field and found this this stone-like uh, melt, uh, which uh, it, it looked like something that has been in an oven melting, really. It's not a meteorite. Uh, we know what it constitutes of. It's nothing uh, strange. But the strange thing is that it fell there. And uh, from what it was falling, we don't know that. 
Yeah, and he said he picked it up. It was still very hot. He could almost couldn't hold it. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's uh, that's the case number two there uh, in the weather. Uh, it was very very hot. Uh, two two uh, uh, men who were traveling in the night in the 1950s as well, and this object came in front of their car and it was stalled. The car was just standing there, and this uh, like disc shaped object was hovering in front of the car. And then it went away and they got out of the car and found that underneath where the object had been, been hanging, this metallic uh, piece of uh, metal, like a V-shaped thing, was very, very hot. It was so hot that they couldn't hold them in, in, in their hands. And of course, this object shouldn't have been warm. It was in the middle of the night. It should have been cold. Mm-hmm. So that indicates that this object was very hot, of course. This, this unidentified flying object was very hot as well. Mm-hmm. What other things do you have? I mean, the, if you were going to put an exhibit together, a permanent exhibit, what do you think would be featured in the exhibit out of all the, uh, you know, certainly the, the coat and these objects, but what other things? Because I know you have toys and posters and just yeah. countless things. Yeah, lots of uh, movie posters, of course. Uh, we have quite, quite a few things from uh, from sci-fi movies as well. From The Fifth Element, we have some real stuff from that film. Mm. Uh, uh, we have so many, many odd things, really. Uh, if you want to see some of them, I think you can take a look at my blog at ufo.se. I have a special sec- section there about AFU, a lot of film clips. And uh, some of the film clips shows our exhibitions and then you can take a look at what stuff we we have and we what we want to show but uh, of course there are loads of things that uh, are are very hard to find that we are very very scared that people would um, damage or or take away of course we must do it properly so Mm -hmm. won't be damaged do you have any examples of uh, fortean phenomena like uh, falls of stones or fish or frogs or something like that uh, only paperwork. We have no fish laying around. <laughs> <laughs> I have a hair from Bigfoot, presumably. Uh-huh. Uh, I couldn't vouch for that, but it's said to be. Uh-huh. <clears throat> but it's a fortune library, really. So, I mean, it's not about UFOs only. We have loads of things uh, that are about the paranormal, like uh, Ouija boards and uh, things like that. Uh, we have saved quite a lot of um, Swedish uh, parapsychologists uh, archives when they passed away. So, uh, yeah, we are, we are very broad when it comes to the unknown. Mm-hmm. UFOs may be around 75% of what we have, but the rest is uh, other fortune subjects. One thing I'm interested in, uh, maybe you didn't know, is I collect music related to UFO stuff. I've got about probably five or six hours of it right now. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. We have LPs, of course, uh, quite a lot of LPs. What uh, kind of stuff? I mean, I, I think I saw in your book you have Howard Menger's album. Um, you probably have the Long John Nebel record. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how about the, uh, and I'm sure you have the uh, the um, QFOS record, the, uh, the, the, the three-album one that's narrated by Heineck, I think. Yeah, I think we have. Uh, I must confess that I don't know everything about what's really in our files anymore. 
Uh, it's really impossible to know that. Uh, so sometimes I'm find, finding a book and think, wow, never seen that before. Coming back to AFU, we have three copies. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I really I cannot answer anymore what we do have. Uh, I wish we could have time to make a proper list of everything we have, but that is really, really impossible to do that. Uh-huh. We are scanning all the time. Every day we are, we are scanning. Oh. And uh, right now we are working together with Enigma Labs in New York uh, on the project they have to scan stuff and they want to use it uh, as kind of app uh, maybe in a year or two. So we have a good cooperation with them. We work with uh, Swedish universities uh, that use uh, uh, our files uh, doing research. So we, we're doing so much uh, different things really. But uh, we want this uh, donor to find us, to say, okay, I got a couple of million dollars, we can buy your house. And that would be really, really something. Yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have you can, a... Go ahead. You can dream, I said. Yeah. Uh, I'm very interested in the contactee movement. How much stuff do you have on the contactees? Probably just, just rooms full. Yeah, we have lots of it, of course. Those reel-to-reel uh, uh, tapes I mentioned before from mm-hmm. Donato, they are really unique. I mean, it's about 95 interviews with people who mm. are, are one of a kind, which are loads of books, of course, and uh, magazines. And uh, I'm right now working to uh, acquire, acquire is the, not the right word because we are not buying anything, but we are saving with a man in, in Great Britain, was a very big archive when it comes to contactees. Uh, and uh, of course, I mean, from the 1950s, the contactees were the guys, and not men, no, some of them girls, but most guys, that were prominent and interviewed everywhere and uh, publishing things and uh, yeah, publishing books and so. From the 1950s, we have loads of stuff. Mm-hmm. Are, do you have uh, material from contactees in other places around the world, other countries besides the United States and Britain? Uh, from, from Sweden, of course, and, and Scandinavia, but uh, not that much as we would like from uh, from other countries in Europe. We would love to have more. Yeah, and there were a few in South America as well that I know of. Yeah, what we have from South America, uh, most, mostly magazines, I should say now. We are trying to find files as well, but... Uh, it's, it's hard because uh, we there have been lost so many files in South America. Mm-hmm. There was an auction in, oh God, probably a year or two after the uh, the Heaven's Gate thing. Were you, were you able to get anything from that auction? No, I saw that. Uh, uh, I saw they were selling the beds and everything, really. Uh, no, no, we didn't. It was really too expensive for us. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I, I I don't even know who put on the auction. It might have been the police department or something from San Diego or the sheriff's department. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think the Museum of Death in here in L.A. got one of the beds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The bunk beds, I, I saw it there. And I've got, and I'm not sure if it's a reproduction or not, but I've got one of the away team patches. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah. Nice. I'm I'm not exactly sure if it's an original or not. I did it didn't it wasn't you know ridiculously expensive, so I think it might have been a reproduction. 
Yeah, what we are looking for are picture archives as well. Mm -hmm. I will go to Wales in April to bring back a large uh, picture archive. And uh, of course, that could be something that we also can, can get some money from if we are selling selling rights to, uh, to, to magazines and uh, mm -hmm. TV and things like that. Because we, we need other incomes as well. So that would be one, one way to, to fund AFU. You should probably auction some of those things. Yeah, probably. I mean, uh, what we are doing now is uh, selling the third book. If we had two copies, we are saving two copies, but the third copy of a book we are selling. Right. But we are never selling any objects because objects are, are often uh, unique. Yeah. No, I think you could still find things. I, I mean, for exa example, uh, Marler had um, extra copies of those uh the, that Italian magazine, what was it? Do, Dominique, I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, one yeah, with the, the incredible wonderful, covers. Wonderful magazine, of course. And uh, Yes, yeah, such things we could sell as well. We, we are selling magazines, and uh, they are selling for fantastic sums, some of them. Mm -hmm. Maybe $100 for, for a unique magazine. So ah. We may have four or five copies, so that we sell. Yeah, because he had to, you know a couple extra copies of the same thing, so he gave me a couple of those. I should I should frame them. They're wonderful. Um, they are. They are lovely. Really lovely. They're very. The, the I mean, I guess they'd be considered tabloid now, but the the, the artist works so hard on making those covers, <laughs> and I think it's Absolutely. always the same artist. It looks like it's uh, it's the same artist or all of the covers, really. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's uh, consistent, which is. Um, uh, Somebody should do an exhibit of just the covers from those magazines. And one thing we have that is quite uh, unique is uh, is the aerial school investigation by by. Cynthia. I was going to ask about that. That's one of my questions. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was just looking through uh, through through the PDF file uh, today because I was writing a piece for this uh, Swedish natural encyclopedia. Mm -hmm about UFOs, and they asked me to write a piece about the aerial school incident as well. So I was taking a look at that, and we uh, I saved it, I should say, in uh, in London uh, quite a few years ago. Uh, but some of it is still left in Zimbabwe, and nobody really knows if it's still left there or if it's just uh, trashed now. But uh, we got her, her initial investigation with uh, uh, her, her own notes and uh, 22 original drawings from the children she mm -hmm. met as well. So that's good. And we have that have we uh, sold to different um, uh, TV uh, shows and things like that to want to make documentaries. Oh, okay. Yeah. I can't remember the name of the researcher from South Africa. Uh, African researcher. You mean Cynthia Hine? Cynthia oh. Hine. That's it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That was her, her notes. We we were able to save her notes uh, and some of the drawings. Yeah, twenty-two drawings, uh, mm. and there are still probably more stuff left in Zimbabwe. Well, hopefully it doesn't disappear. Uh, I think first first person first impression things are probably the most valuable pieces of information you could get. Absolutely, and she did a good job as well. But um, yeah, she's gone now. I think she passed away in. And was it 2000 something? Mm -hmm. yeah. Also noticed, I think you have original drawings from William Gill from the Gill, the Father Gill uh, uh, sighting. 
Yeah, we have a set of that uh, because uh, I think he made uh, different original drawings, uh, but this is uh, an original set we do have. Yeah. Yeah, because <clears throat> are they just drawings from him or from any other other uh, witnesses to the case? No, it's uh, only from him, mm. not anyone else. Is there any uh, notes to it, or do you have any other documentation from it, or is it just his drawings? Oh, it's a typewritten uh, record as well. Oh, quite, okay. Quite extensive. And uh, that was made by him, and it's also made by a friend of his he was talking to. So it's a, it's a little mixed, but uh, it's quite a big file. So, yeah, interesting. That sounds like somebody could do an entire book just based... Actually, people could do entire books based just on what you have in the holdings there. I mean, you mentioned the book I wrote about the files of the unknown. Yeah, yeah files oh, of the unexplained. Unexplained. Yeah. I don't really know my own book. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's just a, just a very, very small sample, I should say. Could have been uh, twice as thick, but uh, I, we couldn't afford to make it bigger than that. So it's so much more to, to tell, so many more um, files that we would love to tell about. So maybe in the future, we can make another one talking about the rest. Yeah, but I just meant, I, I hear about that Father Gill thing. I, I don't know if there's any book specifically on the Father Gill case, but you could write an entire book just based on that yeah. that file yeah. that you just told me about. Yeah, absolutely. I think there is uh, no single book just about that case. Hmm. Uh, case is prominent in many books of course but uh, yeah but to do an in-depth uh, uh, study of it would be pretty interesting uh, I, it's one of my favorite cases what's your yeah what, what's your favorite case do you have I mean, any uh, depends on what you mean really I, I, I spent a full day with Betty Hill mm -hmm. and uh, even though I'm very very skeptical about a lot of things that she uh, told me yeah, uh, I think the case in itself is so important. It made such an impact. So uh, it's one of my favorites. Uh, whatever you would like to to think happened, really. Um, so, I mean, she made a drawing to me. I think it's in the book as well of the this craft that uh, it looked kind of boxy. The one that you that's in your book. Yeah, it's I mean, very I angular. I was surprised when she drew that to me and said, this is exactly what the craft looked like. And it uh, doesn't look at all like uh, any drawings I've seen in books before. Yeah, I think drawings that her and uh, at least Barney did at the time. Yeah, I mean, it's strange. I mean, <sighs> she, she was very clear, very fit for fight when we met her. It was no problems. Mm -hmm. and she was really, really sure about this drawing. And uh, she also told me this story, which I, I uh, wrote about in, in some of my books, that she had seen this saucer crash before the incident at the Indian Head. <clears throat> that was not very known. And I wrote about it, and uh, it's published on AFU, oh, no, sorry, on UFO.se, mm -hmm. Sweden's website, where she telling me how she was sitting with her, her relatives on the porch, seeing in nighttime this craft coming down in flames, crashing, and they are going out, picking up debris ah. from the And uh, she brought a couple of, of those things she found back to her house and put it in a, in a cupboard. 
Until uh, Barney said that you must clear the cupboard. You cannot have those things in here. So she threw them out in the garden. And a couple of days later, this uh, lorry came with uh, some earth that she, she had uh, ordered and just poured it over those metal objects. So they are probably still in the garden. She was telling the truth. <laughs> Somebody should tell Kathleen Martin to go start. <laughs> I mean, she should know about it. And uh, But the thing is that uh, she was not uh, a blank sheet of paper when it comes to UFOs. She really oh, no, not at all. Had, she'd seen this crash before the, the Indian head thing. Yeah, and I think that over the years, she probably, her memories became different. They became influenced by people, what people told her, things like that. So, I, I, you know, when, when I saw that drawing in your book, that very angular, boxy drawing, I was thinking that she either she didn't, you know, she had suddenly gotten a, a, a flash of what it really looked like or that she had just changed kind of her ideas about what it was since then by thinking yeah. about it or talking to people about it or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, and, people, people are are um, not computers. We are evolving, and our minds are evolving all the mm -hmm. time. Yeah, and yeah, you know, I guess you have to take that into account. We've been talking for an hour. Is there anything you want to ask me? <laughs> Absolutely. What would you like to do with your files when you are putting up your hat? <laughs> <laughs> I knew that would be your first question. Uh, I don't know yet, but we can talk. <laughs> yeah, they're not extensive or anything. It'd probably fit in, you know, uh, maybe one palette. <laughs> and all the yeah. books I have are probably uh, complete uh, copies of everything you have. I know what you might have not have. Um, do you have a copy of Contact with Space by Wilhelm Reich? Uh, I, I, I'm not sure. I don't think so. But uh, as I said before, I shouldn't answer questions like that, really. <laughs> um, I'm not sure we have that. Uh, it's, I mean, I mean, it's very hard to find. I know that. So, uh, I was a member of the Wilhelm Reich Infant Trust, which was their which was their organization. It may still be in the 1990s, and I uh -huh. used to get their newsletters. And one of the newsletters they sent out is like, "Oh, we happened to happen to find 150 copies of Contact with Space in the basement." Or a hundred oh. copies. You can buy them for one hundred and fifty dollars. One hundred and fifty dollars <laughs> was a lot of money to me back then, and I sent him a check immediately. Yeah. Um, and I got a, a nice original. He said, we found some copies that weren't burned by the government. Um, oh. So it was. Uh, I think they only burned things that had the word orgone in it, but of course that book did have that in it. Um, but yeah, they just found a, a cache of them somewhere in the in the you know one of their storage areas, and they just sold them to to you know make some money. So, so you still have several copies of it? No, no, I just bought one. I couldn't buy more than one. No, it's very much money. I mean, yeah, I know. And so I, you know, it's in a plastic bag <laughs> up on the shelf right now. And I'm uh, looking here at our inventory. It says William Reich, American Odyssey. We have. Uh -huh. We have Das uh, Oranur Experiment. Yeah. We have Dialectical Materialism and Psychoanalysis. We have <clears throat> Ether, Good and Devil. Uh -huh. Good and Devil. Yeah. Selected Writings, The Orgone Energy Accumulator. Uh, handbook. Yeah. Material. Yeah, that's what we have. Oh, okay. But not Contact with Space. I think that no. they had he had different Oranor reports, but I that was actually one of them, but I can't remember what number it is. But it would probably actually say contact with space. 
You know, I had a friend here in Sweden. His name was Ernst Linder. He had a, had a couple of original Reich books from mm. the early 1900s. And uh, when he passed away, his family threw them away, sorry to say. Well. Uh, they were clearing his uh, his uh, apartment in the central uh, part of, of, of Stockholm. And I got to know that, so I went there immediately. But uh, I was too late to save them. I could save a lot of other things. But they had throw, thrown them away. So really, really sad. It is. Do you have um, metaphysical thing books too, rare metaphysical books? Like, you know, uh, yeah. what? Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of Anthropo- uh, what's his name? Anthroposophy. Uh, yeah. Okay. William St- Steiner. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, yeah. Steiner, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we have lots of that. Yeah, because I've, I've got a few. Uh, Rudolf Steiner. Uh, oh, and, sorry. Yeah, Rudolf Steiner. Yeah. yeah. It's funny because I in, in miniature, I kind of have the same mindset you have. Let, let me find these things, these rare things, uh, these original documents or original, you know, um, um, records from that time and then you know you have them in your house i do some of these things and they it's it's incredible to hold a piece of history to me yeah it is it is i mean uh, it's worth so much to save those things so uh, it made me make me happy for days and days after doing things like that and uh, <laughs> uh, and the only thing is that i i can i, I would love to have more time and more money and i could travel more and save even more that's uh, really what i would love to do Mm -hmm. what's a what's the thing you're proudest of saving that made you the happiest i think it uh it's the flying saucer review stuff really Mm. because gordon creighton had contacts all over the world i mean he was uh skilled in in maybe eight or ten languages like uh, Mandarin and Russian and and any strange language you could imagine. He he could talk it and he could read it. So he had a correspondence that was really amazing. Mm. So you can find, I mean, Antonio Villas-Boas stuff in his files. and Ah. Everything you can imagine from the 1950s, 60s, 70s and 80s, you can find it there. So I think the, the FSR files are, are the things that I'm most proud of of saving really so you the what you were saying earlier you have witness reports from from Bufora and the FSR yeah yeah loads loads of them have those ever been digitized because uh, I was uh, I I spoke to Valet a couple of years ago and he's uh, for a few minutes and he said the problem with a lot of these uh, databases is they come from different places, from different eras, from different countries, different languages, and it's hard to put all these databases together into one, into something that makes any sense. It is. It is. The before our files, uh, we, we, we scanned everything. But the Flying Source Review, we, we haven't started to scan, and, but we would love to do that. Hopefully we will do it. And uh, But before us, stuff are, are scanned. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I think recently more people have been saying, well, maybe we can reconcile some of these different uh, databases by using AI to and teach it, you know, this color equals this color or is close to it. And, the, you know, and dealing with the different um, cultural differences, et cetera. 
to sort I mean, of get a, a worldwide database? I mean, the work I'm doing now with, with Enigma Labs in New York, uh, they are trying to, to learn the AI to, to read handwritten text mm. in your course. So we are doing doing that right now. Yeah, that would be incredible because that would add to the database. Um, I don't think the I don't think the answer to the this this question is going to come from combing databases, but it will be a big part of it. I think. I mean, we we have started to to read Russian UFO reports. I went to Moscow in the early nineties mm. and saved uh, one thousand one hundred original UFO reports, and uh, they are scanned. And uh, the first uh, Examples I've seen now from Enigma Labs that are trying to, to read them are promising. Mm -hmm. So hopefully they will be able to, to read uh, all of those reports uh, maybe next year. We'll see. Oh, that would be incredible. I've got a couple of Russian UFO books that are written in very bad English that I bought from a Russian guy at a UFO convention. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know quite a lot of uh, Russian ufologists and I met uh, with them in person for for a couple of years, but um, now it's very complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Russia, of course. Yeah, it's closed itself off. Well, it's not not by choice, but yeah, by, by, by fiat, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah that... I'm sorry to say that because uh, I have very good friends in Moscow that are also trying to build archives. Mm. But um, some of them have, have uh, left Russia and I don't know when they can come back. Yeah, I get I, a lot of people have. I would as well. Mm. So, one more question: How is the archive set up to continue after the staff's gone or retires? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, we we have uh, a couple of youngsters. I mean, forty-five year of age, something <laughs> like. <that>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do have that, uh, but we are really trying to find more, more of the same kind. Uh, it's not easy to replace me or Anders Lilligren or Håkan Blomqvist who works with this every day. Uh, but we must try to do that. And I think if we can find this, uh, this uh, new locality and uh, build this museum, it will uh, make people more interested in, uh, in working with us and coming to us. Mm -hmm. So that's really important for us to find this solution as fast as possible. All right. But I plan to be around for a couple of years more. So, hopefully. Well, I hope so. I hope you're around long enough so I can come out and visit. Yeah, you're always welcome. You know. All right, Klaus. Uh, unless there's something else you want to ask me, I guess we'll um, finish up for now. I always ask the guest, I always have music at the end. What would you like to hear? Or would you like me to pick it? I don't know. I'm a Frank Zappa fan. Oh, great. So am I. So, I mean, pick your, your choice of Frank Zappa. That would be nice to hear. I mean, I have nearly everything he ever produced. <laughs> one, of the, one of the largest Frank Zappa collections in Sweden, I should say. Oh, wow. I did not know we shared that. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Please, uh, choose your pick there. And, I'm, uh, I'm sure I will, you know, I'm not going to choose anything that's uh, really um, uh, obscure, but I'm sure it'll be something that you like. You probably know way more about Zappa than I do. I never actually got to see him play. I've seen him uh, four, five times. Uh, I've seen him play. Wow. Yeah. 
Okay, Klaus, thank you so much, and thanks for sharing the, uh, uh, your stories about the uh, archive. And it was, it was great to meet you finally in uh, Houston in uh, yeah, it March. Yeah, of we must meet again in the flesh. Yes. All right, thank you. Oh. 